Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Stuff I Heard podcast. I am your host, Josh. Um, <clears throat> we uh, Today's Wednesday, June 13th of 2018. We had an election yesterday to vote in a primary uh, for several seats, one of which is the governor of our state of South Carolina. Um, I had kind of a long day at work, and I was able to get by the polling station just in time to vote, and... Um, I was able to vote for the candidate that I wanted. Um, currently, Governor McMaster is in charge since Nikki Haley has moved up to help out with the UN relations with um, with Trump. And I think Nikki Haley was a great governor, and I think she's doing a great job as a UN ambassador for America. And McMaster's is McMaster's is okay. I mean, I don't really have a complaint with McMaster's. Um, but there is a candidate running right now uh, named John Warren, who is a uh, combat Marine who has is a self-made millionaire. He came home and started a business in the military. He uh, was with a company called Lima One, and when he came out, he started a financial investment group called Lima One Investments. And I think they do mortgage loans, and, and primarily he did loans for veterans and for people to help flip houses and stuff like that. And it was wildly successful. He's done great with it. Um, I want to say he's fairly young. I think he's like 34 or 36. He's got a young family. And, you know, if you look at him, he doesn't look like a regular politician. Most politicians have that stylized smile that they use all the time for their photos and pictures so that they always look like they're your buddy. This guy looks like a like a Marine that's become a businessman. Um, I know for a lot of people you're going to go, what? Just Google John Warren, South Carolina rep, uh, candidate, and you'll see what I mean. Um, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. I like the fact that he was a Marine. I like the fact that, uh, you know, he was in 300 combat missions, and he was a decorated veteran. I like the fact that he was a self-made millionaire. That shows that he knows what hard work's all about. He knows how to manage people. He knows how to go after a goal and achieve it. Um, You know, a couple of the things that he's running on right now is he's talked about uh, ending career politicians. Uh, You know, I think it's kind of wasteful that we live in a time where we have career politicians who their entire lives get sucked into the habit of supposedly representing the people when they don't. They just take money from special interest groups and vote however those people pad their pockets. You know, the fact that we even have a representative government like we have today is, in my opinion, wasteful. You know, a long time ago, you used to have to travel by horse and buggy to get anywhere in this country. And if you wanted a message to go across, you had to, you know, send a send a rider and... You needed a representative government when all this was set up. Over time, they had, you know invented the telegraph and then the telephone. Well, now we have smartphones. We literally have a supercomputer, all of us do, in our pockets. I'm talking on one right now. And with this supercomputer, I can communicate with anybody in the world immediately. We can bounce images off of satellites. We can communicate. We can talk to one another. Why do we still have the same antiquated, bureaucratical, wasteful system of representatives you know the only reason that i can think of is because it's it's what we've always done it's what we've always you know it's the status quo as some would say um 
you know, so John Warren has said he's against career politicians. He's against zero bid contracts. Um, our state has a history of having politicians who have buddies who are also politicians who own uh, road construction companies. And supposedly whenever it's time to do road construction bids, they don't allow bids. They just go, ah, that's all right. I'll give my buddy so-and-so the job, you know. And they'll have their name hidden somewhere in the bylaws of the ownership. And the next thing you know, some guy has a contract to do all of the road work in the entire state. It doesn't all get done. And money's just kind of changed hands without anybody ever bidding for the job. That needs to end. That needs to be a thing of the past. You know, our state, South Carolina, is not big when you compare it to somewhere like Texas or Arkansas or, I mean, not Arkansas, Alaska or, uh, you know, California or Florida, you know, the big states. Our state is really not that big, but it is a big, uh, a massive area. And you would think that if you're going to bid out contracts for road work, that you would bid out the areas or you'd bid out to people who are going to give you the best cost or the best price, and you're going to hold them accountable to do the job. My uncle and my grandfather were in construction, and the way you usually do it is you get several bids, and you say, okay, well, this one says they're going to do it for this price, and they're going to get it done by this time. Well, currently, we don't have that system. Currently, we don't get to pick the best person to do the job or the best company to do the job. Right now, they just go, that's fine. So-and-so is my buddy. I'll give him the job. You know, I'm watching, I'm watching these shows on TV like Boardwalk Empire on HBO where they show how prohibition came about was really the politicians and businessmen who got together and said, oh, you know, if we make this illegal, we're doing it for the quote-unquote people. And immediately they knew that the reason they were doing it was so that they could pad their own pockets because people would have no other choice but to buy their alcohol from them. Well, the same happened with the war on drugs. They put the war on drugs out and said, oh, drugs are bad, drugs are evil. Then they turned around and started moving drugs, you know, the 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 movie that just came out uh, was it last year American Made with Tom Cruise highlights this. They show the life of this guy who became a pilot and was moving drugs for the CIA from Colombia to America so that the CIA could sell it to make money for their black ops programs. Uh, you know, George Senior, old President George, was the one that done that. Mister Bush. Um, Ironically, whenever he crash-landed in Arkansas, Bill Clinton was the president. And it's one of those handshake deals of, hey, buddy, you know, you, you kind of help us sweep this under the rug, and we'll look out for you. And then Bill Clinton becomes president. How about that? Um, you know, the war on drugs has failed. The war on drugs has failed just like the war on, on prohibition for alcohol has failed. And I think we're on the verge of everything turning on its head. You know, I kind of made a, a Facebook post recently um, where I kind of addressed this. I, I, I felt like a lot of people have feelings about things that they're unwilling to share, that they're unwilling to verbalize because they're afraid of how other people feel. And I thought, you know what? Let me just put my cards on the table. I'm, I'm 44 years old. I've served in the military. I've raised a family. I've got three sons. I've got a grandson and a wife and you know I've kind of lived my life figuring out things you know when you're in your 20s you don't really have an opinion about stuff or the opinions you have really don't matter because you ain't learned enough when you're in your 30s you're starting to form your opinion 
And I've realized now that in my forties, I have opinions, and and I may be wrong. I'm okay to admit that I may be wrong, but here's where I stand right now. Okay. Number one, I support gay marriage. I think that if you love somebody, you should have the right to marry them. Um, notice I said somebody, not your favorite puppy or your or your horse or anything like that. I think that if two people are in love and, and they want to get married, by all means, get married. Have a relationship. Pay taxes. Be, be considered by the government as a couple. Um, have all the rights that and, and abilities that that gives you. So that, you know, if your loved one is in the hospital, you have the right to see them in their passing. Or you get to say yes or no whether or not to pull the plug if they're brain dead. Or if you have a child together, you can raise the child together as a family unit. Uh, I have no problem with that. I think the only people who have problems with that is people who are older, who've been taught their whole lives that, that no, 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 that ain't right, that ain't right. Okay, well, that wasn't right for you then. But this is the world we live in right now. Um, we live in a world full of bullying, and we live in a world full of uh, school shootings, and we live in a reality where when there is bullying over things like people's sexual orientation or their preference, that they tend to lash out. They tend to either commit suicide or... They go to school and they get back at the bullies, quote-unquote. We need to have more focus on schools. We need to have more focus on our kids. We need to have more focus on what's going on in our kids' homes as well. You know, there needs to be more of a family unit presence where the fathers are at home. I know that it's probably been talked about a lot. I've heard it on, on Adam Carolla's podcast where he says, I'll tell you how to fix the big problems, and that start off small. And the best way you can do that is is spend time and focus on fathers in the home. And he said that probably 20 years ago, and he's been saying it ever since, and he's right. Uh, if you don't know who Adam Carolla is, go check out his podcast. He has several. He does one with Dr. Drew called The Adam and Dr. Drew Show. Um, it's sort of an extension of what they used to do on MTV with Loveline. Um, but... You know, there is the reality that without fathers in the homes, the children kind of run amok. Um, at a certain point, mothers just can't do enough. You know, I was raised by a mom who did the best she could and got married. I had a stepfather growing up who was, you know, he was not the greatest person in the world, but he was present. He was present and he taught me a lot of things that I've used for the rest of my life. Um, you know, one of those things is to be respectful and be accountable. And I've passed that on to my children. You know, with a father in the home, you're going to get more of this, you know, I'm sort of a laying down the law kind of thing, kind of thing. You know, I've always heard it say that that uh, women give information and men give directions. Uh, whenever you go to like Disney World, you'll hear, you know, a woman's voice over the PA system kind of giving you information about what's going on. Whenever it's time for you to leave, there's a man's voice that says, exit this way. That's that's just, you know, part of the way things work. Um, and it's in our monkey brains of how we form opinions of, of information. Um, 
you know, I think we need some focus on voting reform. I think that there's a problem when you go to the polls and there's only two choices. There's only a Republican or a Democrat, the red or the blue. Uh, back when I registered to vote at 18 years old, they asked me, what do you, what do you identify as, a, a Republican or Democrat? I said, neither. I think it's silly that you have to sideline yourselves with one party or the other. I said, I, I'm registering as an independent. Can I do that? And they said, well, yeah. I mean, not, not many people do, but, but absolutely. Okay, so recent poll in this last presidential election, I found out that over 55% of the registered voters right now are registered as independent voters. So every year, whenever it's narrowed down to two parties, that means that these independent voters are choosing one or the other. Well, if you go to, to vote like I did yesterday in a primary, when you walk up, they ask you, do you want to vote in the Democratic or, or the Democrat or the Republican primary? There's two separate ones. There's nothing for independents. There's nothing for Green Party or Tea Party or any of the other parties that are out there. You can only vote in one or the other. I have people that I wanted to vote for in the Democratic Party, and I had people that I wanted to vote for in the Republican Party, and they said, well, just you got to pick the one that you want the most. That's crazy. There needs to be some change in that. There needs to be some more attention in that. You know, the first year I was able to vote was 92, and that was during the presidential race where Bill Clinton was up against uh, George Sr. and Ross Perot and a bunch of other people. And a lot of people say that Ross Perot is the reason that, that Bill Clinton won the election. And that may be true. But after that election is when people got all up in arms and said, we need to change the way we do things. Because up to that point, they allowed a lot of independents to get into the discussion of debate. And when they changed the laws, people like Ross Perot weren't allowed in anymore because they didn't have the parameters that... that that this voting committee had decided that needed to be in there. They all named it in the name of voting reform, but then they figured out a way to bury the people who um, had an outside chance of being president. They're like, no, 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 this is all set up between us. This is, this is the red and blue party. You greens and you grays, you don't get to be in here. It's just red and blue. We need to change that. Um, we need some changes in our educational system. We need some streamlining of our administration. Here in the city that I live in, I think we have five school districts, and there only needs to be one. You figure with each one of those school districts, they have administration that's supposedly in charge, and they all get together, and they contemplate what's going to happen with this and that and the other. There's a guy that I went to school with who's on these, he goes to these meetings all the time, and he's been reporting on Facebook all the time about what kind of wasteful spending that they have Victor, if you're listening to this, buddy, I'm proud of you. You're, you're taking a stand for something that needs to be taken a stand for. Um, there is a lot of wastefulness. There doesn't need to be that much pompous bureaucracy that's basically sucking money out of the school system. That money could be better used to the schools for resources, for better counseling, for better security, for better programs where they get to talk to kids more about what's going on in their lives and how can we help you. Every year that I've paid attention to politics since I was 18 years old, I've realized that every year it's discussed how they cut the budget on education and spend more on the military. You know, this, this past presidential election, I was really wanting to vote for Gary Johnson as, as a libertarian. And one of the things he talked about was how we don't need an occupational war all over the world 
This is one of the things Roth Perot talked about in 92. He's like, we're spending all this money to have troops all over the world in an occupational war when in all reality we're fighting an espionage war. We're fighting against supposedly terrorism, but terrorism is not fought by living there and by just existing where they exist. It's done through covert means. It's done through espionage. It's done through finding a way for spies to kind of work their way into the system and dismantle the system from the inside. You know, in Vietnam, we went over to Vietnam to supposedly go to war with this, with this uh, in North Korea to supposedly save the South Koreans. And we were only used to a theater warfare up to that point. And for those who don't know what a theater warfare is, just imagine sitting in a movie theater, okay? You got the screen in front of you, and then everybody sits around and they watch the screen in front of you, okay? That's basically how our whole military was set up at the time. We're used to sitting in front of the enemy and then approaching it from this angle and that angle and above and below, but we're used to it being in front of us. If you watch old movies of like, you know, World War One or World War Two where we were fighting against the Nazis and the Japanese and they had the special uniforms and they had different hats on and whatnot and they decorated their planes with their own logos. It's easy to point at them and go, look, there's the bad guy. When you go to something like Vietnam, you don't know who the bad guy is. You know, if you go over to the Middle East right now, you can't really go, okay, that's a bad guy and that's not a bad guy. But yet, for some reason, we're wasting all this money by having an occupational war, by having troops sit over there all the time, you know, and the American public just has to kind of accept it because we don't have any say. I mean, our government is just kind of run amuck with spending. We've gotten away from spending on kids. We've, we've fully gotten into spending money on the military. And with that being said, I'm also for the Second Amendment. I was in the Marine Corps. I understand what it means to have enemies, foreign and domestic. I didn't know what that meant until I joined the Marine Corps, until I went through boot camp, until I listened to patriots who died for this country and their, you know, their, their families and their friends and the, the people who wrote stories about their lives, I heard them talk about the fact that sometimes in this world, you have to take up arms against the people who are supposed to be taking care of you. In this country, we do have the possibility, I mean, it is slowly happening where we're giving up our freedoms supposedly in the name of peace. The Patriot Act is a good example, Okay. The Patriot Act kind of said, you know, hey, we're only going to listen to uh, the people that we deem as, you know, as, as the evils of the world. You know, George W. supposedly was the one that was president during this time and said, you know, oh, no, no, the Patriot Act. Oh, we're just going to, we're going to listen in to the, the people we suspect of terrorist activity. And then Edward Snowden got in trouble during Obama's re- uh, presidency because Obama had this thing about whistleblowers. He wanted whistleblowers to come out and talk about things that were, were happening that were wrong. This was on their website when he became president. He wanted whistleblowers to come out and let him know of things that were happening. So Edward Snowden came out and he says, hey, just to let you know, we're not just listening to those conversations and recording them and saving them. We're listening to everybody's conversations. Everybody's. And because of that, he's seen as a terrorist now, and they took down the website uh, of information that used to say they were all about whistleblowers, and Obama and his administration decided to label Edward Snowden as a uh, as a, a treasonous terrorist, and he had to escape. And I think he's living right now in Russia as a uh, like political asylum kind of thing. He's still on Twitter. He's still posting things on Twitter. But here's a guy who did exactly what 
his president told him was okay. And somehow we're all sitting sitting around going, oh my God, I'm so shocked that they're listening to all of our conversations. Well, duh. You know, I've listened to podcasts where they talk about the fact that the guy who invented, the guy who owns Amazon is a former CIA director. You don't think they're listening to you on your little Amazon dot or your Echo or your smartphone or your your Apple watch that you have on? You don't think that, that they have the ability to listen to every conversation? You know, the crazy part is, is if they're listening to me, they're listening to me talk all the time because I have this podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I talk a lot. I talk a lot for somebody who used to stutter. <laughs> I mean, but they're gathering up all this information. And for what purpose? Why do they need to listen to every conversation? Is it helping stop anything? I don't know. It sure doesn't seem to stop school shootings. If they're listening to everything, they're not using it because they're letting that stuff go. They're not listening to the abuse of children. They're not listening to the fact that that these kids are being bullied to the point that they feel they need to lash out. They're not doing anything about it. You know, we're supposed to give up our controls to the government. That's what the Second Amendment's for. I do realize we live in 2018, and if they wanted to take us out, they're not going to go door-to-door and kill you. They're going to take you out with some kind of chemical weapon, or they're going to, you know, bomb you. But they're not going to do that either. The reality is that the Second Amendment is sort of aged itself into a point where, if it, you know, the government doesn't want to get rid of its people. They want its people to be... Uh, stupidly happy and keep paying taxes because that's how they make money. That's how they keep the ball rolling. That's how they keep their power. If you were in charge, if you were the government, if you were the head of everything, you want your people to just keep doing what they're doing and keep feeding you money, right? So why would you think that they would come door to door to take your weapon? They're not. But Maybe my weapon is what keeps a burglar from breaking into my back door when they knock on my door at 10 o'clock at night and and wanting to know if I wanted to listen to them give me a sales pitch. That's not, there's no reason for you to be at my back door. You're there to see if I'm home. That's why you're knocking on my back door. If I don't answer the door, then you know you can break the glass open and come in. But because I answer the door, you're you're first off alerted that someone is there and you got to roll your little line of BS but when I tell my wife now and she cho- she pumps that shotgun, that lets you know it's time for you to leave and never come back. That's the universal sound of enough is enough. That's why I believe in the Second Amendment. That's why it needs to be there. I'm watching Sons of Anarchy right now because I, I just I never got around to it back when it was on TV. But thanks to Netflix, I can catch up on all that kind of stuff now. And I just finished season one. And in season one... There's a scene where this guy, supposed to be a, an ATF agent out of Chicago, he starts stalking this girl, and he will not leave her alone. And he comes to her house, and he harasses her, and she has a, she has a restraining order against him, and is not stopping him. And he eventually comes to the house, and he throws her up against the door and knocks her out. And while she's knocked out, he starts taking off his clothes because he's going he's gonna to rape her. And when she comes to, she notices that his gun is there. And she luckily grabs his gun and shoots him in the stomach. Now, I know this is all, you know, a, a, a show. This is all fictional. But this is the kind of stuff that really happens. You know, she was able to shoot him. And then later on, you know, the, the, the star of the show comes in and he shoots him and kills him. Because even as this guy is shot in the stomach, he's cursing at her and he's telling her, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. This isn't over. 
That's what you call a domestic enemy. Not a foreign enemy. It's a domestic enemy. This guy is supposed to be a, a person of power, and he just decided he's going to take something. You know, this Me Too movement that we've had kind of highlights the fact that, that women feel like they're victims, and they should. There is the reality of the fact that that for years, men have just taken whatever they want. You know, I look at myself and my wife. I am twice her size. I'm twice her size. And I can, all I can think about is what kind of life has she lived where for most of her life, half the population is bigger than her and she's had to figure out how to navigate it. And, you know, it made me think about, you know, relationships in general where... Um, women seem to gravitate towards guys who are, you know, big and strong and protective and that kind of stuff. But in a way, you're sort of picking your poison. You're sort of picking the guy that's going to hurt you the least. You want to be protected, but you want to be with somebody who's going to who's going to protect you and also care for you and not hurt you. It's sort of a weird, dangerous line landmine of life to live. Um, you know, you don't want a soft guy because, you know, let's say you hook your wagon to something like that and then you get the night where the guy knocks on your door at 10 o'clock at night and he's like, oh, sure, come on in. We can discuss it. It's literally uncomfortable. It's not the time of the night. And the next thing you know, this guy's got you at gunpoint. You kind of want to have somebody around you that's going to help protect you. But then you got to ask yourself, okay, is this guy going to protect me and also not hurt me? Or if you're a single woman, do you go, I'm going to get my own gun because I don't know what's going to happen here, but I got to be able to protect to protect myself. You know, I know I'm off off on a tangent here, and I I tend to do that. I tend to go on several different tangents at the same time, but I do have something in front of me so I can keep on task. I'll go back to talking about it. Um, <laughs> I know right now you're like, come on, Josh, where, where, where are we going with this? <sighs> Let me get back to this. Um, I'd like to say that I'm all for legalizing all drugs and treating addiction as a medical and not a criminal case. I think that there needs to be way more studies on the effects of, obviously, marijuana because that's becoming more popularized right now. With legalizing marijuana for personal use, not just medical use. Um, although there is a lot of medical uses, you know, the, the weird part is I learned from listening to Joe Rogan's podcast that marijuana is supposedly listed as a Schedule One drug, which means it has no medicinal purposes, which is a lie. Um, I hear too often about how marijuana is helping people with Parkinson's disease, with epilepsy, with cancer. Um, you know, I'm like, why Why isn't this stuff being addressed? People who have stomach issues, people who have pain, uh, people who are having problems with sleep, with their appetite, people with depression, and this is helping them. So if that's not a medical purpose, then then, then what in the world? Who, who signed off on that? And if you signed off on it, is it part of that prohibition thing where you thought, no, 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 we'll just make it evil, that way we can take people off the streets that we think are evil. There's something wrong with that. We need to address that. We need to look at that more. Um, you know, what if we just treated addiction as a medical case? 
where people came to you as a, as a medical person, they came to you and they said, hey, I have a problem and I need some help. Okay, well, we can treat you as a medical case. Let's do that. You can, you can free up all that money that you're spending on the supposedly war on drugs, which is BS, and you can then address these people as patients and you can help them get better. All of the nonviolent offenders that we have in prison, that's another waste. We're wasting money on that. I know that the prison complex is a huge moneymaker. You know, I go through a lot of counties where there's these giant federal prisons full of people. And in all reality, there's probably 20 to 30% of them that are nonviolent offenders that are just there because somebody has said what they did was wrong. And it may be something as simple as possession of marijuana or selling marijuana. We need to look at that. We need to spend more time on that. We could definitely use the tax money to go towards our children and our schools and our infrastructure. Lord knows our, our roads need the work. But like I was saying, the uh, election primaries was yesterday. And, you know, Warren was able to win the, I guess, the runoff nomination with McMaster. So in two weeks, we're going to have a runoff. And... I know that he didn't get nearly as many votes as McMaster, and he probably won't win. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. You can kind of hope to, that a guy wins, but if you've got a margin of like 20% vote, uh, McMaster didn't get the uh, 50% needed to secure his position. But there's going to be a runoff to see who gets to run as a Republican nomination for the governor of our state. Um, I did some research and found out that the Democrat running for uh, governor of our state is a career politician, the quid pro quo, if you'll call it that, uh, the guy who is going to vote however his party tells him to. I'm not impressed with that. I'm not motivated by that. That doesn't make me feel good. You know, South Carolina has a history of voting for Republican all the time, um, We've had a few Democrat governors in my lifetime that I've paid attention. I know Hodges was one. He's the one that brought the um, he's the one that brought the lottery to South Carolina. But I mean, I don't know. There needs to be a balance. There needs to be somebody who's like a a middle of the road candidate, someone who you know is going to allow social programs, but also is going to stand for the government or or not the government, but the stand for the, you know, the security of our people and stand for, um, you know, a solid work, home environment, a father unit in the home, a party that's not going to spend frivolously, that wants to build up more and more bureaucracy. That's one of the things I've noticed lately is that the Democrats seem to be, especially with the Clintons, seem to be pushing more towards a socialist-type economy, a global socialist type economy um whereas the republicans are lately are more about independence and you know capitalism you know fend for yourself fight for yourself you know grow work hard achieve more keep more of what you have um and liberals are uh, the the libertarians are more about you know let us not infringe upon your rights as much let's give you some liberties Let's, uh, let's not tell you how to do everything. Um, there should be a happy mix in there. There should be, 
there should be somebody in the middle of all that that kind of allows for some social programs to help people, especially children, especially the elderly. There should be some group that's also, you know, looking after our military and our veterans, um, giving them opportunities for when they come home. There should be a group that's like a little bit of deregulation when it comes to invading in your privacy and telling you what you should think and feel and, and you know, monitoring you 24 hours a day. Um, you know, if anybody wanted to know the life of me, I'm pretty transparent. I'm on YouTube. I'm on podcasts. I'm on social medias. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, and my life is out there. I got nothing to hide. Um, but I'm kind of the weird exception. There's a lot of people who are like, no, 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 it's my private life. You don't need to know nothing about that. And I get that. And there are th- some things you know, about my life that, that you don't need to know everything. But the government doesn't need programs to follow me. In all honesty, all you got to do is pay attention. And most of us are like that. You know, Facebook, if you look on Facebook nowadays, people will show you their entire lives. They'll show you what's going on with their kids, what's going on with their house, what's going on with their uh, vacations, what's going on with their relationships. Um, It doesn't really take a lot to figure that stuff out. And people give it up voluntarily. We volunteer this information. We broadcast it. We let everybody know, hey, I'm in a relationship. Hey, I just got married. Hey, I had a kid. Hey, I've got grandkids. Oh, thank you for my birthday wish. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, Billy just got in an accident. Oh, you know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. My coffee's wearing off. <clears throat> I feel like I should stop talking now just so I can make some sense. But anyway, I'm going to be voting in the primary in two weeks. I'm going to be voting for Warren. If he doesn't make it, McMaster's is not bad, you know. I think we need to change how we're voting. I think we need to change our options of voting. I think we need to change how we look at each other and how we look at our country. I think there needs to be more attention on kids. I think there needs to be more attention on bullying. I think there needs to be less attention on globalization of our military. Um, we do not need an occupational war all over the world. We do not, we not need troops in every country. You know, one of the things that, that, that comes to mind is the fact that, you know, no one talks about how we're paying for this. We're paying for all of this at the pumps. When you and I go to the gas station and we pay, you know, almost $3 a gallon right now for gasoline, we're paying for them to be overseas and to, you know, hang out and, and play Army. Um, we're doing that because our government decided it was going to be necessary. Um you figure if the government had to come door to door and say, hey, listen, we got this war going on and we're going to need to collect about $10,000 from you and you and you and, oh, you make more money, so we're going to need about $30,000 from you. People would be like, no. But if you have them pay it at the pump, they got no choice. You know, the gasoline, I'm sure, does not cost that much to manufacture and distribute to the public. It's not just greed from Exxon and Mobil, which I'm sure a lot of it is. But there's a lot of taxes on that that pays for uh, G.I. Joe and Jane to go overseas and hang out in Kandahar and, and all these other places around the world 
so that the world sees us as a military force in their backyard. Are we making friends or are we making enemies? You know, Donald Trump just went and helped secure a peace treaty between North Korea and South Korea. And a lot of people will look at it and say, it kind of looks like he bullied North Korea into doing it. And maybe he did. Maybe it was the sanctions that were put on to him by the UN. You know, Nikki Haley talked a lot about the fact that, you know, we needed to tighten our belts when it comes to sanctions and we need the world to get on board. And finally, other countries realized, oh, this Kim, Kim Jong-un guy, he's, you know, he's firing nuclear weapons or he, he's, you know, sending off ballistic missiles that can reach us. If we don't take a stand, he can very easily just turn those towards us. And everybody tightened their belts and he had no choice but to go, you know what, I, th- I think it's time for peace. It's time for us to move forward as a country. There's no sense in us not having the same luxuries and abilities as everybody else in the world. We're doing this because this is something that my father decided we're going to do, and I've just picked up the, I've just picked up the rod and ran with it. And, you know, maybe they're coming around. Maybe maybe he's finally realizing, oh, it's it is time for peace. And Donald Trump kind of helped make that happen. You know, North Korea and South Korea's leaders both said that he's the reason that has happened, and yet nobody's discussing the fact that that maybe this is worthy of a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, I remember when Obama was president, he wasn't in office very long, and they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize for supposedly giving peace to to, to Syria. And I never saw any of that peace. From what I saw, Syria was getting bombed all the time. But they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. What's up with that? Is that a popularity contest? Is that a, oh, look... We finally elected a black man as president in the, st- in the United States, so we need to give him an award. Now, I know there's a lot of racist people out there that'll go, well, of course that's why, because Shut up. Just get over yourselves, okay? Stop looking at the color of your skin. Start looking at the merit of the, of the man, all right? Let's grade everything on an equal plane. Let's assume that everybody has the internet and they have no reason to be stupid anymore, and you have the ability to learn just like everybody else, all right? Let's say that... that if you decide that you want a better life, you're going to achieve things and you're going to do the hard work and you're appreciated for doing that hard work. Let's look at who the individual is. And I say man as a general term. I know there's women out there that are very strong and powerful. My mother's one of them. Her whole life she, she was told she couldn't do things because she was a girl or because she was a nurse or because she was just a nurse practitioner. And her whole life she, she used mo- that as motivation to break down barriers and there's a lot of women out there like that. There's a lot of women who break down barriers because people have told them they couldn't do things because of this, because of that. If you're a woman and you're kicking butt and you're you know, you know doing things for the right reason and putting in the work, by all means, I commend you. I think Nikki Haley's going to be our first female president. I've watched her rise up through power being the governor of South Carolina and now UN ambassador. And I got no reason to believe that she won't be our first female president. She is impressive. She's lived an impressive life of hard work and achievement. And she does things for the right reasons. I remember when she was governor of our state, she would put on social media, here's how the, the recent vote went for this thing. And this is why I didn't vote for it. Because you'll read in here that so-and-so wanted a $300,000 bill tacked onto this supposedly seatbelt law for children uh, so that he could have a hog farm up in the upstate. And it's like, What? And she go, by the way, if you don't agree with your politicians and how they voted, here's their phone numbers. She just put it all online. She was like, listen, this is, a, this is a, supposed to be a government of the people, by the people. 
here's the information. And I, was, I liked that. I liked everything about that. I was all for that. I thought, there you go. That's how government should be run. This is the latest vote we had on this, and this is why I didn't vote on it, or this is why I did vote on it. Here's the little hidden thing that special interest groups attack their, their dollars onto, and here's how your people voted. And if you don't like it, call them. They're representing you. Let them hear from you. You know, we live in a day right now where we're so tapped into the world, yet we're so detached from the people who make our laws and who debate our laws. We need to have that in our phones. We need to be active and find that the information of who our representatives are and call them on a regular basis. Just bombard them with information. Let them know how you feel. Talk about it. I'll tell you what. If you didn't vote in the primaries and you don't vote in the elections, stop complaining on Facebook. If you're not going to take action on something, stop being a part of the problem. If you don't like the way things are run, then you run. You be a part of the action. You be part of the lawmaking. You at least chime in to your lawmakers about how you want things run. Don't just get on Facebook and be like, it's all terrible, the sky is falling. Grow up. Be part of the system. Change the system if you want. But take an active role. Don't just stand on the sidelines and go, it's all on fire. Do something. All right, so... That's enough of me talking today. Um, I appreciate every one of you for listening. I'm really surprised that anybody's listening to this. Uh, I just recently had put on Facebook that I had this podcast, and a lot of people listened to Episode 8. Um, this is Episode 9, and I got no intentions of stopping. Uh, if people want to be a guest on the show, uh, feel free to write me. I have a uh, Twitter, Stuff I Heard podcast. Uh, I have a Gmail account, Stuff I Heard podcast. Uh, just drop me a line. Let me know what you think. If you got a subject you want to talk about, we can get together on that. I can do some research. I can find out. I'm still listening to podcasts. I'm still listening to a lot of different things. Um, the most recent podcast I listened to was Leanne Kreischer's. Addic- uh, she did one on addiction. And that's gonna. I'm going to discuss that probably on the next one. Um, I want to go into more depth on that. So for today, that is all. I appreciate every one of you, and I thank you for listening. And y'all have a great day. Be part of the change. If you want to affect change, be part of the change. Don't just accept it, and don't just complain about it. Be part of it. Take an active role. Casey Nysat says, action over intent. And I put that on almost every one of these taglines. Action over intent. Y'all be good to one another. Thanks for listening. Bye.